live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on our social media accounts. They're all right there. We interact with everybody. Check out Parlay Points. New blogs up right now. Holy smokes, we got a lot coming there this week. Let's see, the <coughs> T Public store has always got some great swag to pick up, too. The classifieds, the directory, anything and everything that is the ODPH can be found at odphpodcast.com. And always remember to use the hashtag ODPHpod on social media. But kicking off this edition of the show, well, Pad. We're finally here. Uh-huh. After all the hype, after all the hoopla, after all the circumstance, we finally have the first episode of Marvel Studios slash Disney Plus's Moon Knight yeah. at our disposal. Yes, the long favored in the, li- in the eyes of a lot of comic book fans, the hero that we were never sure was going to make it to the smaller big screen has finally arrived. Oscar Isaac plays the title character, and man, oh man, the trailers for this have been very good. Mm -hmm. We know this is now kicking off the next phase of the Disney Plus universe, which I don't know the official terminology for, but hey, you get the gist of what I'm saying. Yep. And we finally have that first episode at our disposal. Six episodes in the series in total for season one. So we are going to start deep diving into the show. Now, if you're new to the show, first and foremost, thank you for tuning us in. But we also give a countdown and to avoid spoilers. So if you haven't seen the episode yet and you don't want to hear any spoilers, you want to check out the show first, that's perfectly right. That's perfectly fair. We're going to put the liner notes of when we're talking about this in the show so we don't ruin anything for you. But after that countdown, it's game on. So that all being said, in three, two, one, Pad, what did you think? Thought it was an all right premiere. Uh, left a lot to be desired, you know. But I, I'm going to still, obviously, still watch it. I think it's going to only get better with time, as time goes on. But I definitely feel I need to give this a rewatch because I I felt like I got lost at certain portions, and maybe that's a deliberate choice on the editing of the show and the way it was presented. But I got lost a few times, and and it kind of took me out of it a little bit. Well, this was a very interesting episode. I will say that. For a premiere, there's a lot of questions that if you're not familiar with the character... Hi, that's me. ...you're going to be lost at. And I thought that they did an okay job explaining the character to new viewers slash new readers of Moon Knight. But if you've known the character for a while now, you had an idea about what they were going to do with him, and he's a very complex character to say the least... The easiest way you can describe him to somebody is multiple personality Batman. 
but that's not the character. Like, sure. But for somebody that's not really into comics, that's probably the easiest way to describe him, but it's not a true, accurate description. It's not a one-to-one. No, it definitely isn't. It's just there's a lot of similarities between the characters to a degree, mm-hmm. but once you really break down the characters, they're vastly different. Sure. And the one thing about Oscar Isaac, who plays Mark Spector, he is juggling around a lot of different identities in the show because Mark Spector has dissociative identity disorder. Mm-hmm. So he has multiple personalities that were making their way into this show. Right. And that's one thing that with this episode, I thought they did a unique way of presenting this. Mm-hmm. But I will admit it was confusing if you have not known the character. Right. Because they did not, in my opinion, explain the jumps that well until the very end yeah, of that, the first episode. And, and that's the boat I was in because, I, like I've said, I haven't read the comics. I don't know who the character is. You know, so we just start jumping around from place to place. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is, wow, this is cool. what the What the fuck is going on here? And it wasn't until the end that I went, oh, okay. I Like, they alluded to it and they hinted at it and they kind of gave you some breadcrumbs as to what was going on. But I could have used a, some slightly bigger pieces of bread there. Yeah, and that's something that I thought hurt the beginning of the show, but I don't think it took anything away from the overall grade I would give it. Sure. It's just something that... Since I've read Moon Knight, I understood what they were going with. Mm -hmm. But I also was thinking, okay, well, there's going to be a lot of people tuning in for the first time and Mm -hmm. going, what is going on here? Yeah. And I thought that it did a good job explaining the character, but you didn't really get everything until the very end. Right. And I thought for maybe the first 40 minutes of it, you're kind of like, I'm not sure what to expect. Because as they kick off, they don't even show Moon Knight. No. They show this weird scenario where you see a character, Arthur Harrow, mm-hmm. who's played by uh, Ethan Hawke. Yep. And he's breaking glass and putting it into his slippers. It's a hell of a start. Yeah, which it's like, okay, let's get weird. Uh-huh. I'm here for this. So they go right from there and catch up to Stephen Grant, who is one of Mark Spector's personalities. Yep. Uh, or identities, rather, I should say. I apologize for that. Yep. And you see that Oscar Isaac is now trying to figure out his way. You know that there is something going on with him. He seems to be just a normal museum worker. Right, a little flustered, a little out of sort. you know, out of sorts. Not exactly collector or punctual, you know. There's a, the opening sequence. He's getting ready for work. He goes to leave. He stops to talk to somebody only to realize that, oh, shit, the bus I need to get to work is leaving without me. He's running after the bus, and he finally gets to work, and his boss is like, hey, got to fix that. That's the third time this week. Yeah, so you're seeing the everyday problems of a normal person. But his character is anything but normal. Because as you see, he's trying to go through (laughs) his daily routine. Interacting with uh, fellow coworkers is always an interesting ploy. He sets up a date. And then he has a series where he blacks out. Mm Mm-hmm. And then when he's going to sleep, like, allegedly, okay, it's a normal night, it's everything's happening, he wakes up in a completely different area of the world. It looked like maybe Sweden or Norway. It was something like that. Like, he just enters into a whole different realm, 
He looks like his jaw was broken at one point. Well, it looks like he broke his jaw from the fall or something. Because like it, it's like one of those you when you wake up from a dream and you get that falling sensation. Mm-hmm. It looked like that is how they presented it, but he actually legit fell. Yeah, which they get into a little bit later. But it's so confusing of what's going on because he even wakes up and he's like, "Okay, what's going on?" And as he goes into the town that's nearby, he now sees that that Arthur Harrow is leading. Followers, right? Almost cult-like, which that was the vibe I got from this. And he's using his powers, which is a unique balance system, right? To see if they're worthy or they're not. And you see, like how the scales fit. It's you know, like you see a, a courthouse with the scales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see that they're getting judged if they're good or bad in his eyes, which is a really interesting way to make this happen. But it's something that he's judging who he feels is worth saving and this is a really crazy moment because as you see one time he saves somebody good and gives him a hug and then there's some a woman comes up after him and says oh shit i've been good all my life and the scales go away from her and she gets killed right like how bizarre was that scene pad that was very bizarre and i want to point out i did some looking on the imdb page for moon knight um, and under filming locations, and it looks like, and boy, this is an interesting MCU connection. Uh, it looks like the scenes that took place where he jumped to are in Budapest. Oh, <laughs> I'm not saying we're going to find anything out there, but just hey, interesting choice to pick. As always, it's all connected. So as this is going on, you see Harrow understands like there's a presence around him. Like somehow he picks up that something is going on. And he makes all his followers kneel. Yeah. He says a word that is in their own language or whatever, or a different kind of language. And then Spectre is now caught out there. Mm-hmm. Like, so how would you describe this whole scene, Pat? Bizarre is all shit. Yeah, because it's just completely, everybody around Harrow is like mesmerized and listening to every word. Yeah. But at this point, they know something's up and, and he basically causes the crowd to separate from Oscar Isaac's character mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, and, and the, whole scene, the whole scene is just especially bizarre because the vibe I got off of it is that it's not just like a handful of people, like 20, 30, it feels like it's the entire town. Right. Like he has complete control of this area. And as he has everybody part ways, he is demanding the scarab. Yep. And this was kind of interesting that Harold picked up on this because at this point we don't know that he's got the scarab No, on him. He has it in his hand. And at this stage, too, there is that really bizarre sequence going on because Harrow demands it from Stephen Grant, who that's the personality that's in yep. Moon Knight at this point. The one in the driver's seat, I believe, is right. what's said. The identity. Like I said, I apologize for that. And as Grant's trying to hand it to him, he can't open his hand. Mm-hmm. And there's a voice telling him, you can't give him that. Did this voice remind you of the, the voice from the Venom movies? Or is it just me? Slightly, just to, just like in the way the whoever voiced it did their portrayal, it, it reminded me of Venom a little bit. Well, the one thing that is connected with Moon Knight, and they did not explain it in this episode, is he is the avatar for the Egyptian god Khonshu. Right. So they wanted to have that kind of control symbiotic relationship explained on this show. 
but they didn't do a good job about explaining it for this episode. They're setting up for it, though. Just right, ab- absolutely. Because at the museum, it's there's this giant Egypt display going on, or Egyptian uh, exhibit going on. He, at one point, meets a little girl who's, like, working on it or looking at one of the pyramids, of, a model of the pyramids of Giza. So they they haven't said it, but they're setting up for it. Yeah, they, they're, they're playing the slow burn for that. So, I mean, that did make sense. But I do like how you brought that up, though, about with Venom. It is just that voice in your head that's controlling you. And that's probably the easiest way you can describe it. Because Khonshu is basically telling him, you're not giving him this. And you're seeing the back-and-forth battle going on, which... Kind of came off a little Disney esque, yeah. not I'm, mean, but not anything I thought really took away from the episode. But you just see that kind of little comedic humor going on, yeah. And you know, Stephen Grant was playing it on, and then he winds up eventually making a run away. And as he's trying to get away, he has a blackout. Yep. And what happens when he comes to? Uh, he has no idea what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. And there's four bodies lying around him, and the and some of the folks around him are like panicking running away yeah and he's legit going like what just happened what just happened what just happened aren't aren't his hands super bloody too and the scarabs like covered in blood Uh uh-huh yeah so at this point you have an idea that something is going on that nobody is aware of watching at home but then again if you're watching as a comic book reader you know exactly who who took over yep so at this stage he makes his big getaway into a delivery truck a cupcake delivery truck yes that's full of cupcakes so good. It's the best truck I've ever seen. Oh, my God. I was tearing up about this. And as they're trying to escape, too, he's now having those blackouts again while he's driving. With, like, two, at least two sedans, two SUVs. So there's at least four cars following him. Right. Down a very, very European, tight, narrow, winding road. Yes. So as they're having this high-speed chase, he blacks out again. He wakes up. He realizes he has a gun in his hand. Isn't he driving backwards, too? Uh-huh. Yeah. And he sees a body go right out the trunk. Yeah. Which... Well, well, it's the guy who jumped in the trunk because as he was getting followed, this dude got out of the passenger side of the front car, front seat of the car, crawled onto the fucking hood as they're going like 60, 70 miles an hour, figure out what it is in kilometers. Mm-hmm. Jumps into the back of the delivery truck, which just conveniently happens that the back door just conveniently is open. Yeah. You know, leaps in there. The other... Uh, the other spirit takes over. He comes back too, and it's driving backwards, and the guy falls out, and it's just he's just like, "Uh, what?" Yeah, it's an absolutely wild scenario going on. So then, eventually, Moon Knight winds up crashing the the van. Yeah, you know, and then he wakes up back in London. So it's a weird scenario that's going on here. Mm-hmm. And the whole scene, and this before this whole sequence started, he went to bed listening. I think it's in one of the trailers they showed. You know the. The phone number for staying awake, and he's Rubik's Cube and reading, and he's like got his ankle handcuffed to the bed, and he wakes up after all this. He's still in bed. He's still ankle cuffed, and he goes, oh, my God, thank God it was only a dream. Yes, which if you notice, too, with the music and the subliminal messages going on, yeah, they're all dealing with staying awake or going to sleep. Uh-huh. Because you hear during the whole chase scene, too, wham, wake me up before you go-go. Notice that one. Yeah. Yeah. Could not escape that. But as he wakes up and he's like, oh, man, it was just a dream. It was just a dream. Well, he realizes that it's been a few days. Well, he well first he realizes he's being followed. And he, and he goes to work and he tells this middle management security officer, hey, I'm being followed. Don't let him in. 
and the security guard looks at him and goes, you realize this is a publicly open museum that you don't need to pay anything to get into, right? Yeah, I know. Just, just stop, you know, don't let him in. Yes. So it's kind of the weird scenario going on, and he's just trying to figure out, but he now realizes that time has been passed, mm-hmm. that he missed that date that he set up with that coworker. Yeah, because he's, he's, he's sitting at the dinner table of this, like, steakhouse or wherever it is he went for the mm-hmm. he chose for the date, and he's waiting, 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 and the waiter comes up, oh, still waiting, sir? He goes, yeah, I'm still waiting. So he takes out his phone, and he calls the girl, and the girl goes, boy, you have some nerve calling me. He goes, well, why? I'm sitting here waiting. For, and I'm paraphrasing. Oh, why? I'm, I'm sitting here waiting for you. Yeah, and I sat there waiting for you, and I ate a steak by myself. What do you mean? It's it's not time. It's time for our date. No, no, it's not. Our date was supposed was supposed to be two days ago. No, it's not. It's Friday. Friday comes after Thursday. Yeah, and Friday was two days ago. And he hangs. And she hangs. She goes, lose my number. And the waiter comes back and he goes, excuse me, what day is it? And the waiter goes, uh, it's Sunday. Yeah. So two days have gone by that he can't put together. Which means perhaps this whole sequence in Budapest wasn't a uh, dream yes so it is a little confusing if you're watching at home with the jumps here but you have to start piecing everything together which i think is something that the creative team behind moon knight is really trying to challenge you the viewer with Mm -hmm. because they're trying to say that is a day and night difference no no pun intended (coughs) but this is what we're seeing because now back at his apartment he's he's thinking he's getting chased he's and he's very paranoid of what's going on Mm mm-hmm he finds a phone. Yeah, because he starts noticing some oddities about his uh, his apartment or his bedroom. Like, he lays down on his bed at one point, and he notices these rather noticeable scuff marks from his table, mm-hmm. like, from where his table is sitting. So he goes, what the hell? So he moves the table over where the scuff marks end. You know, he stands on the table, and then he kind of looks up, and he notices a, a wooden board up in the ceiling is is kind of misplaced so he goes up there he climbs on the table and he moves the for- board and he's got a fucking motorola razor <laughs> sitting in the damn and he goes what the hell is this yes and he starts going through the rolodex style and he sees the name layla keeps showing up uh-huh except at one point there is a side character that if you know moon knight you see his name in there and that was frenchy yep that is his longtime assistant so for Mark Spector, you're seeing that that is his phone. Right. But as Stephen Grant, mild-mannered uh, museum clerk, this is a whole different ballgame. Mm-hmm. And as you see, he finally answers the phone to talk to Layla, and he has no idea what's going on. Well, and, she, and she's freaking out, like, oh, my God, you finally pick up an answer. I've been trying to reach you for months. You know, where the hell are you? And he's so confused. He's like, listen, I don't know who you, you are thinking you're talking to on the other line on this phone. But this was just left in my flat and stopped playing with me. You know, it's just this whole back and forth. Yes. And then even at this point, too, he's trying to resume normalcy at the museum. And he's now actually visited by Harrow. And Harrow is breaking down his whole weird, twisted version of reality. Yeah. That apparently he's an avatar for the goddess Amit. Yeah, and I, and I love, he brings up, I'm an avatar. Oh, blue people love that movie. Yeah. And he goes, no. And then he keeps going, oh, anime. I'm like, oh, he's bringing up Avatar Last Airbender. Yes. So you see that he's there and he's insisting about the scarab. And he is more or less calling his shot too because apparently he has now converted everybody in the museum. So this has yeah. all been a setup oh, yeah. since day one. Well, because is- they start doing that weird brainwashing thing where, like, the villain's going to reveal his big master plan that, oh, you think you know, you don't know, and everyone starts walking towards him with uh, hands outstretched. Yes. So at this point, you do see that there is an attack made on Stephen Grant 
that there is a monster that comes flying out it from like a dog or something. It looked, yeah, it definitely looked it, like it, something from hieroglyphics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you would see there of just kind of like a of of a half man, half animal done yeah, in there. Yeah, like it's just something that if you know Egyptian hieroglyphics, you've seen like this kind of character before, mm-hmm. and literally comes comes to life and starts chasing after our hero. Yep. And this is where you kind of get a little more background about the identity disorder. Because as Stephen Grant escapes into a bathroom, he locks it, and in the mirror reflection, he now sees a full Mark Spector. Different voice, <coughs> no accent, yep. which now explains why there was that weird accent when we started hearing the show. Mm-hmm. That they're really trying to establish that this is a completely different personality. Because the only other time they did this in the episode, there was a brief moment in the apartment where you saw a shadowy figure in the mirror that was Mark Spector. Right. And then you saw the voice of Khonshu yep. start coming after yep. Stephen Grant yep. until you see that quick face-to-face, but then he snaps out of it. Well, because even even uh, Stephen Grant was kind of moving side-to-side, figuring out, but the figure in the reflection wasn't. Right. Which is really putting him off. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a crazy scenario, but they're really trying to go with this noticeable feature from Mark Spector slash Stephen Grant yeah. Moon Knight. Yeah. So they really played that up very well because at the end you finally get it. But you finally see Mark Spector is screaming at Stephen, let me in, let me take control. Because if you don't, we're going to die. Getting real Bray Wyatt vibes right now. Yeah, it was this weird kind of scenario. And I let love how you put in. it with, with, with Bray Wyatt because that's exactly what it was. Let me in. You just see this going on. Just so, without the shitty red light. Oh, I know. Oh, God. Can you imagine they tried doing that on the show? Please, no. It'd be awful. Unless it makes sense. Right. But kind of doubt it, though. But you finally see at the last minute, the garbs of Moon Knight start appearing. Did not expect to see this. Yeah, I wasn't fully expecting to see this as well. And then you just see... I figured we might see a tease of it or like the early, like an early transformation, like in the early stages of the transformation, like... Well, like if when he's converting from human form to this robed cloak form, like the start of it, I didn't think we'd see it full fledged. Mm-hmm. I, I figured they would save that for the next episode. I, you know, they're probably going to lean that way, but I think if after you sit there and you watch it, they had to do it because if you're watching at home, you're going to be really conf- you're already confused at what's going on right. until that very end where you finally see Moon Knight after he beats the ever loving snot out of this monster. And then he just starts walking towards the camera in full garb. Uh Uh-huh. And that's how the episode ends. So there is a lot of questions, I guess, you could ask. Yeah. Um, If you've read the comics, you know that there's more coming. But for an overall first impression, I thought by the time we got to the end, they did a very good job. I felt that they kind of teetered around explaining the identity disorder. Mm Mm-hmm. But they definitely were trying to make you, the viewer, figure that out on your own at home. Right. And to be fair in my defense, to some of you, you might be saying, Pat, how are you so confused? Sue me. It was fucking 6.30 in the morning when I was watching this. No, but I, you know, I don't think that that's a, a factor, Pat. To be honest with you, unless you know the character, right. you don't know. Right. So this isn't a slight to you or anybody that didn't figure it out. It's just a matter of, have you read this character? <coughs> because if you have... You have an idea of what was going on. But if you're coming into this, and we always make this reference about pop culture audiences tuning in for the first time. Right. They're going to be lost until the very end when it finally, they reveal their hand. And they go, oh, 
he's got another personality in him. Well, this is where it kind of shined through. So I thought they really did a good job about explaining that when they finally got to the end. Mm -hmm. But it took a while to get there. So I could understand if some fans were not excited about this. But I also say you have to kind of give this a fair shot on next episode because right. then it's a lot of stuff is more cleared up. Right. Because they haven't gone into his whole origin of how he even got into that costume. Right. Even though they did teeter around with it. Like I said, at one point you did see Khonshu in the show, but they didn't spend a lot of time. That's why I didn't want to break it down too sure, much. Sure, sure. But you did see that whole elevator chasing, which you've seen in yeah. the trailer by now. So I didn't feel we needed to really break that down. But that's how it kind of ties into it. And then you st- you're just knowing that he has something that uh, the cult leader wants, mm-hmm. you know, and with Harrow that is really trying to establish that role. But to understand his motivations, they I thought they gave enough, but they didn't explain enough. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, I understand it's the first episode, so you have to give that with a grain of salt. Sure. They're not going to tell you everything the first shot. No. I did think, though, Oscar Isaac played this role very well. Oh, he was brilliant. I really think, yeah. He was really good. He really, really ran with this and really tried to establish in about the different personalities, different vibe, everything with it. We didn't see a lot of Mark Spector on the show because that is usually in the comics the more dominant identity. Mm -hmm. Stephen Grant has a different background in the comics. Sure. So this interpretation is a very unique one. That I took me a while to kind of get into, but I understand what they're trying to do with this. Because once we get Mark Spector fully established and you start digging into his background, Mm -hmm. that's where you get the true origin of Moon Knight from. Right. They just wanted to keep you guessing from the jump. And I understand that's a very unique shot to take on a first episode. Yeah. Especially with a new audience that doesn't read the comics. Because let's face it, there's a lot of people that watch the MCU. And he's not the most household name. Right. He is amongst the comic fans. Oh, yeah. The comic fans, they know who he is. But in terms of, like, just even a passing notice, like, you know who the name is, not necessarily. Right. That's why I always say the the reference if you want to try doing a very uh, inaccurate description, he's multiple personality Batman. Right. Because everybody just sees him as this violent vigilante. Right, and in, and in my experience, you know, I don't. I think he might have shown up for maybe a couple issues in Ultimate Spider-Man, which I don't fully remember. Yes, he did. You know, um, don't, to my recollection, I don't think he showed up in the '90s Spider-Man cartoon. Um, I, he might have. I, I honestly, it's been a while since I've seen the show. Not I, the Fox one, but the the one that was after it. Okay, um, Spectacular Spider-Man. Yeah, maybe it's been a, again. A it's been it's been a hot minute, folks. So bear with us. But the outside, the only exposure to him that I can firmly remember was the Spider-Man Web of Shadows video game, where he was there and like you'd fight. He'd occasionally pop up, and it wasn't even like randomly. It was like at specific points in the story, he'd pop up, and you'd have to chase him down, and you'd have to fight him a little bit, and then you'd move on, and then he'd disappear, and move on. It was the game wasn't all that great, and. and that was my first and to my recollection exposure to him. So that's really about all I know. Yeah. See, for me, I've read him a few times. Uh, it's always been kind of hit and miss with me just because it, you really have to capture a certain essence with him. And Moon Knight, like I say, is not exactly a household name, but he's definitely raised his profile throughout the Marvel universe many, many times. And he's had a lot of the who's who of creators work on him. As of recent mm-hmm. time, too. Yeah. So he's definitely a character that you just have to really get the right creative team behind him and run with. 
And then once you can do that, you, there's some really cool stories to tell. It's just there's so many different interpretations you can try doing with him because sometimes he did fall into, like, his early days into that Batman comparison. But he's really not. No. Like, once you really deep dive into the character, and especially throughout the Marvel Comics universe, people don't realize of how connected he is. At one point, he was an Avenger. At one point, Marvel Knights. I mean, because that's the street-level superheroes. Right. Most MCU cinematic universe fans would know as the Defenders. Right. He was in that kind of group. So he has had a fair share of connection to many of the movie characters that we see now. It's just a matter of what are we going to get out of this show. And I know that obviously Marvel's taking their time. <laughs> they really raised the profile of him in the comics as of late. Well, yeah. So, and rightfully so. because well, it, They do that every time one of these things are coming out. Yeah, and it's smart business, too. Because for a character like Moon Knight, you want to try getting away from the Batman comparison and establish who he is. Right. If you don't do that... You're doing a real disservice. And that's why I know like some fans that have really read the comics don't like this interpretation, didn't really like the, the trailer. Right. And I you know, and I can understand that. I can respect that. Right. But it's like I said, Moon Knight's one of those characters like he you're either really in love with the character or you really you're like, eh, okay. Like I don't think anybody's like really hates the character or sure. just, or dislikes. Sure. I, well, I'm sure there's somebody. Well, I'm sure, yeah, there's somebody with everybody. But I'm saying you talk to the majority of comic fans, and this is why this show is so impressive to see because in all honesty, trying to do this show, and especially on Disney+, Plus, which this is, in my honest opinion, is not the Punisher coming over. This is the real reason why we have TVMA ratings. Because if you really do Moon Knight as Moon Knight, yeah, you're teetering on Punisher levels. Well, and I know this one, because I was curious about it, is TV-14. Mm-hmm. At least right now. Right. And I don't think there'll be a director's cut. But you never know. But release the directors. But I think this is gonna. It's this is very interesting to see how they're gonna do this and explain his uh, identity disorder too. I think they're they showed it in a very unique way. Yeah. That once they dive into and explaining it, mm-hmm. it's gonna be one of those minutes like when you see it in like episode three. It's like it's like peeling back the layers on an onion. Like, yeah. You, it, at the surface, it seems like very uh, normal and ordinary, but like the more layers you peel back, the more you realize how just odd this onion is yeah and that's one thing that you'll be saying going oh i get it now and then right. you know that's where the mind blown i you know id comes in because like i say he is a complex character and i thought for the initial shot i loved the first episode but then again i've read the comics so i had an idea what to expect the interpretations we're seeing are going to be very interesting and i think that once this show gets rolling it's going to be very very good and i think oscar isaac was the perfect casting for this I don't think you could have done any better. Uh, no, I, I can't think of anybody who could do better. Yeah, and I'm just waiting to see what happens when he really sinks his teeth into this as we go further. And then I keep on here, and it's going to get crazier and crazier as it goes. And I think that that's what they need to do because if everybody just says it's going to be Batman ripoff, it's it's just not going to work. Final thoughts on the episode, Pad? Okay, episode. Could have done a little bit more, and maybe my opinion will change. I'm going to go back and watch it a second time just to see if I kind of follow the thread a little bit better the second time through. But I still enjoyed it nonetheless. Yeah, same here. I'm definitely doing a rewatch of it just because there's a lot to look at and trying to piece together all the Easter eggs they did. Like I said, they tied in a lot of the Mark Spector uh, life in there, especially with the cell phone. And I can't remember if it was Collider or somebody else pointed out that the 32nd name on there was Frenchie. Yeah. And that was a tie back to when he appeared in Werewolf by Night 32. Oh, okay. So there's like a little small Easter egg about that. I'm pretty sure it was Collider. If not, I apologize. Hashtag ODPHBot. But either way, there's a lot to 
of this show that I think is going to be a plus than a minus. I think that they established a good base for comic fans. For pop culture fans, it's going to need a rewatch. But I guarantee you, by the time we get to episode three, I think we're all going to be sold on this episode or the series in a general vibe. So that being said, we gave you our takes. Now we want to hear yours, ODPH Society. Hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPHpod. Moon Knight, episode one. What's your takes? Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? And remember, let's keep it spoiler-free until Friday, April 1st. We are talking about making sure we don't ruin it for anybody else that's going to be watching. And that's not an April Fool's joke. No, it is not. We want to keep it very, very spoiler-free until then because this show is worth the time. I know there's a lot of rumors going around about it, whatever. Let's give everybody some time to watch it. Mephisto! Yeah. Oh, he was in there, too. Oh, wait, we said too much. Or did we? Let's have that discussion spoiler-free till Friday, and then after that, all bets are off. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do you think you should go to jail if you throw a cookie at your girlfriend? Do you think it's cheating if an athlete fails a doping test, but the twist is only her boyfriend is juicing? Do you think 200 shots is too many to try to stop a robbery? What would you do if your parents burned $30,000 worth of your porn? Have you ever asked yourself this question? What the hell is wrong with Florida? Or the Rum Runners Podcast. We read the clickbait so you don't have to. We click those questionable links that pop up in your feed and let you know you want a new iPhone. Every week, we break down the weirdest and funniest of those articles. Find us on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, and just about anywhere you find podcasts. Video versions can be found on YouTube. Just search Rum Runners. That's R-U-M-R-U-N-N-A-S. We're also available on Twitter at RumPod and Instagram and Facebook at Rum Runners. With new episodes dropping every Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And let us talk Superman and Lois. Yeah. Ah, you know, it pains me, though, because after this episode, we're taking a break until April 26th about them. About a month, yeah. I don't like this. I don't like this at all. But I digress. But at least they left us with a solid episode. That's right. The CW's best show decided to give us a very, very strong episode before they decided to take yet another break, which is the only complaint I have about the show, because once the ball gets rolling with Tyler Hoechlin and Elizabeth Tolick as the title characters and the wild world that is Smallville, whoever thought we'd be saying that in this day and age. I know. You know, we get the ball going, there's a lot of stuff happening, and then we stop. Shit's hitting the fan. Yeah, it definitely was hitting a lot on this episode, so there is a lot to digest. If you haven't seen the episode yet... We give you fair warning. We are talking spoilers. So what are you waiting for? Make sure you're watching Superman Lois each and every time it comes out because it's the best show on CW if you represent DC Comics. Maybe even the best show on the entire network. Going to put that out there. But you know the deal by now. It is time to recap episode 9 of season 2 entitled 30 Days and 30 Nights. After the countdown, we're going live. So if you don't want those spoilers, we give you the fair warning now because here we go. In 3, 2, 1... Pad, what did you think? Thought it was a really great episode. Uh, you know, despite the fact that Superman was on it for about the amount of time I can hold my breath for. Uh, that's a joke. Uh, you know, but the fact that he was on the show for... I almost want to go back and watch the episode again and, like, timer it, how long he was on the episode. It can't have been more than a minute and a half, if that. Uh, so despite the lack of one of the title characters, a solid episode and a great job by the writing team, having the other characters not named Superman slash Clark pick up the pieces. I agree with you. I was actually very pleased with this episode 
And even with something that I'm very critical about. Okay. And we'll get into that as we start doing the breakdown of the show. Because as you touched upon, Superman was in it at just the beginning of the episode. The beginning and then like the last 20 seconds. Yeah. Which is explaining why. Well, it's a little complex because this entire season has been based around a cult leader named Allie. Mm -hmm. We must have something for cult leaders because I think there's one on each episode we're talking about this week. Yes, there is. Uh, It's a weird thing we do. Hey, this is the ODPH Society. Everybody's a cult, part of the cult here. Anyway. The deal is, though, Allie has been recruiting people in Smallville because she has this idea about this whole, like, ascension going mm-hmm. on. There's it's, this other you. There's this other you. Like, it's kind of a weird thing going on here. Yeah. And it is now tapped into the bizarro world, or as they like to call it, the inverse, which mm-hmm. I'm still you know on the fence about. Could have, could have been named better. But, it, eh. it definitely could have been named better. But you kind of deal in the fact that she is now tapped into this universe. She thinks it's going to give her ultimate power. And she's going back to the well because she has now been freed due to the actions of Lucy Lane, who did who stole the DOD get out of jail free card. Outstanding from, citizen. Yeah, from General Sam Lane last episode. So now Allie is free. She's heading back to the mine where this all began because this is where Bizarro was trapped. There's a ton of ex kryptonite in there too. Yep, she and as we found out at the end of the last episode, she was the what was it, the backup plan in case things didn't go right with Allie. Yeah. So this is where things got a little interesting because Clark goes there trying to stop her. Yep. And she is now making the Ascension jump into the portal. Yep. And for whatever reason, he starts spinning around to give himself enough momentum. Well, because he is told you can't because he wants to go in there and go after her. But he gets told you won't make it through there like that. Mm-hmm. And and that's when he just all of a sudden decides to get up, fly in a circle at however fucking fast he's going multiple times, and then he just takes off into the portal, and it looks like his uh, suit is peeling off of him. Yeah. It's kind of a weird scenario, too, because he knows what happens when you go in there. See, Does that, he? Well, you know what? I thought when he was seeing everybody the time he had to save the people from going in there, the yeah, Lois's yeah, yeah. friend. Like, he kind of understood, like, people are dying when they're going in there. I mean, he I think he understood that, but I don't think he fully knows what the hell is going on. Maybe not, but, it, you know, this is where curiosity almost got him. Because, as you touched upon, yeah, his suit starts ripping away as he's going through. He's not exactly sure to survive. Right, we don't know. Which is kind of a real gutsy play here. But, nevertheless, he's Superman. He thinks he can do anything. So, he makes the jump. So, he is now gone yep. from Earth Prime or Earth One. One month later. Yes, so 30 days later, we see the world is a slightly different place. They've noticed. Yes, they definitely have noticed. It's, it's making the rounds. <laughs> there's a, there's a oil rig that's on fire off the coast in the Gulf or someplace that, you know, they're all, and the headline on the news station literally says, where is Superman? Yes, and you're seeing the John Henry Irons, played by Wooly Parks, uh, is really stepping the game up. He's trying to do everything he can in the steel suit. Shades of the Death of Superman story. Yeah, that which I love the picked nod that, they did to. That. Well, love the nod to that. So he's in there trying to fill in the shoes of Soups, yep. but definitely struggling with this as well. And this is also ties into with his daughter being now a part of this universe because she mm-hmm. came. They're both from an alternate timeline. Yep. So things every time you start dealing time travel, it gets messy. But Natalie, who's played by Taylor Book, is definitely feeling the emotions of not having her dad around. And especially this ties into the anniversary date of when her mom, 
Lois Lane of that timeline was killed. Yep, and so it's it's tying in with that, but it's also tying in with her ongoing because I don't th- she can sit there and say it doesn't bother her, but I think it still does that. Her mother is dead. Her mother has been dead at a point where she's old enough to understand and comprehend that. And then she's crossed over into this universe. And, oh, hey, the woman who looks and is exactly the same name as your mother is alive, but she's married to another man and has kids. Yeah. It's a lot to take in as a teenager. We just described that as what pad? Reasons. So, that being said, a lot of this episode was shifted towards Lana. Yep. So, Emmanuel Kirky, who's been playing her, has been doing a stand-up job with this. Like, yeah. really loving the storyline they finally gave her on this one. So, it is now election day because she is trying to become the mayor of Smallville. Yep. And it's been a messy saga to happen. Hey. And it looks like it's still going to get messier because the MVP of this show, Jonathan Kent, played by Jordan Elsass, uh, is called out for ruining the Smallville football team. And what did yeah. we talk about last week, Pad? Uh, this exact scenario. Yes. You take away football from high school, it's a it's bad. Especially in the Midwest, uh-huh. southern part of the United States. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you knew it was coming, and the parents are complaining because, well, my kid, it was his senior year. This he, was his last shot. This is his last shot to wear the Smallville uniform. And, and he tries, like, listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry it happened. And he, he says something, I forget what it is, but the coach is there working because I think Lana's headquarters is in uh, the Smallville High School. Yeah. You know, even the head coach goes, no, she shares this opinion of a lot of people. Yeah, so Jordan is just like, or Jonathan's like, you know what? I think I'm going to leave. We, uh, Lana's also, so Lana's got that going on, but she's also dealing with her opponent slinging more mud than a freaking pig in a pig pen. Break it down. Because we find out from one of Lana's assistants that they're getting a phone call saying that her opponent is claiming that they're bussing people in from other counties or other towns, you know, and, and to get them to stuff the ballot. And so she goes, oh, my God, he's trying to he's trying to stop our, our ride-sharing program, you know, essentially to drive people who can't t- drive themselves or don't have a way to get to the polling booths to the polling booths. And I'm like, oh, hey, heard this one before. Yeah, I was going to say, this is so eerie. To sounds see, sounds uh, oddly familiar. This is how this is repeated. Yeah, like it's just kind of a weird vibe. But, you know, it's politics, dirtiest game in the world. Oh, yeah. You know, stay away from it if you can. So while this is going on, Jonathan is taking care of himself, and he's just sneaking out of there. However, though, his brother mm-hmm. has been definitely making a little more of a profile <clears throat> as of late. Yep. So Jordan Kent, that's right, Jordan, yep. played by Alex Garfin, has now been really taking advantage of the lessons from General Lane and really been trying to fill in the void by his dad as well. All I was missing was that music from the Rocky movies. I was waiting on that. Yo. That would have been dope. So now he's steer- he catches wind of a fire that's going on that has Kyle Cushing yep. uh, in trouble, and he now makes the save to go be a hero and this is all while he's he's with his uh he's with his mom at the high school for the for the hq sits down with his girlfriend and he super hearing picks up and he goes oh sorry i gotta leave i gotta take care of something she goes wait are you serious his girlfriend goes wait are you serious you just sat down he's like no yeah sorry family emergency yeah so he now winds up going to save kyle who's played by eric valdez and this is a situation that yeah he basically takes a big gamble going there but he understands the deal that his dad goes through now so you're kind of seeing the torch being passed a little bit it's also a moment that takes place in this that is of note and that is he flies yes not very far but he still flies he still flies so now you're seeing the coming of age of his kryptonian powers so to speak 
So he flies over there. He makes the save, but Steele catches him. Yep. And this is where the episode kind of takes a little turn for young Jordan. Mm -hmm. Because Steele tells Lois what's going on. Yep. That he's doing that Jordan's doing all of this with naught but his jacket and his hood pulled up. Yes. So this has that whole Earth 2 vibe going on with it as well from the comics. It has a uh, middle part of Smallville, the TV show, vibes for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's, it's a very cool scenario with that as well. Because in, in Smallville, if you haven't seen it, Clark starts doing his Superman thing before he's Superman. And he's literally just, like, he's literally, literally running around in, like, a black uh, jacket and, and blue jeans. It's like, okay, yeah, no, that's not very uh, identity hiding. Yes. So it is a kind of cool thing to go. And actually, I'm afraid that that was Earth One ah, okay. that happened because that was the book that you see, uh, J. Michael Straczynski did, and it's where he has the hood up to it. So that's All where right. it kind of reminded right. me. I can want to say Earth Two, but for some reason, but you know, it is what it is. Either way, Jordan now is getting scolded by his mother Lois. Oh, he's getting read the riot act, rightfully so. Oof. And she, her world is crashing around her because not only got the the shame of the family with with Jonathan. <laughs> oh yeah, Jordan is now risking his life and his, husband's messing and people are starting to ask him questions. Yeah, because she just keeps on saying he's an assignment on Metropolis, so everybody's going like, "What is he doing?" And I don't think anybody buys that because he publicly quit the the Daily Planet. Yeah, that's so what's he on assignment for? Lois's paper. It's a loophole that they have not explained. No, you know what it is? Reasons. Reasons. Fair enough. So while this is going on, too, Jordan is in there trying to, you know, like explain his deal. It's not happening. His relationship with Sarah is now is getting very, very strained. Yep. And this also comes to a situation that she finally puts her foot down about the ex-Kryptonite mm-hmm. with Jonathan. Yep. That she says, listen, we have to find out what's going on because that fire that happened yep. was based around ex-Kryptonite. It was a, it was a warehouse dealer. Yes. So now General Lane has come in, and they're saying to Jonathan, "Listen, you got to say who your your person is. We'll promise them immunity. We'll yeah, promise everything. I'll, I'll promise them the protection of the DOD." And all right, so th- this is one area of the show that I got to admit I did have some fault with. Okay. Okay. So Lois, right, world's greatest reporter. Uh huh. Kind of like a detective in her own right. Sure. General Lane. Sure. Head of the DOD. Sure. You know, head of the intelligence of everybody. Sure. They couldn't figure out it was Candace, Jonathan's girlfriend, he was protecting the entire time. I mean, it's. I think it falls under one of those scenarios where it's like it's it's a person close to the the family. So why would you expect it to be somebody cl- close to you? Like it's it's the person you least expect is the person closest to you. See, I sat there and I'm going like the entire time, like this should be an Ari figured out it was Candace. Like it, I mean, it, but we're third person omniscient. We're seeing everything going on. Lois isn't right, but I'm saying, but Lois should understand. Like her young and, son is well, it, yeah. It, well, and yeah, but you also got to remember that this is her young son. That up until now has been a fairly, at least from our vantage point, upstanding child, quarterback, good grades. It's not, you know, why would he date somebody who's a drug dealer? Oh, I'm sure, but that the, like she probably just thought of the whole drugs thing is like, oh. Listen, the football team had it. He got it from somebody on the football team. Somebody on the football team had a connection. Never probably crossed her mind for one second that he was dating somebody who gave him the stuff. Well, that was the thing, which is how protective would he be unless it was his brother? You know, like I say, like who else would in that timeline be the prime suspect? That's why I'm sitting there like. Well, I mean, uh, it's, it's the locker room stuff. I mean, how how little do we hear about stuff going on in a locker room in the NFL type of stuff? Oh, I, I'll grant you that. But I'm saying for a young high school yeah. to be that protective. Like I can understand the pros a little bit more. But we're talking about a 16-year-old kid here. So, like I say, that's where I thought they telegraphed it a little bit. But 
Nevertheless, Candace comes forward, explains everything, explains why, because the family is needed because her dad's in poor health. It's a big old sob story. Yeah. Right. So, which I'm waiting to see if that's actually real or not. Yeah. Because, you know. She's said it, but we've never actually seen it. Exactly. So, it's kind of an interesting situation going on there. But as we start progressing later in the night, we do see that Lois and General Lane decide to go on a sting mission to go investigate. By and, they br- and they bring uh, Jordan with them because he's like, oh, I've got super hearing. And Lois goes, absolutely fucking not. Yeah. And, and uh, General Lane's like, no, this is actually a scenario I'd use Superman in. And so she, they finally compromise. All right, fine. We'll drive by. You use your super hearing, you know, but you stay in the car. So they finally get to the location of the warehouse that they're they're de- dealing out of, uh, and and she goes, "All right, can you hear anything?" He goes, "No, I, I can't." There's this this hissing that's kind of drowning everything out, and I love this from General Lane. He goes, "Sure, your X-ray vision come in yet?" Yeah, and he goes, "No." He goes, "Damn, that would have come in real handy right now." Yeah, no, it's definitely he's aware of the situation, uh-huh. and he's definitely picking up. He on knows himself. he's got a he knows he's got a potential Swiss Army knife in, in his sitting in his car, but he doesn't have the full use of it yet. Exactly, like it's a crazy thing to see, but how he's predicted the future of young Jordan Kent, it's it's quite impressive. But as typically happens, they get caught. Well, because well, Lois can't stop being a reporter. Yeah, because Lois can't stop being a reporter. And I do love the fact that she made the nod about the ropes. Well, and, and Christ, look at him, money. Like, at one point, the plan before they decided to go to this was to use the U.S. government satellites yeah. and pull up the satellite imagery. But, oh, that take time. So they go. They decide, no, that'll take too long. Why don't we go to the, do this thing? So they go there. They confirm it's there. And, and General Lane's like, all right, time to go. Let's leave. No, Lois says, no, hold on. There's this like little gap because the windows are blacked out or taped over or something, but there's this little gap where you can look through and conveniently enough, you can stick a camera up to it and start taking photos. So what does Lois start doing? She pulls out her phone and starts taking pictures and and her dad's like, yo, nudge, nudge, nudge. We need to go. And she's like, no, hold on, hold on. And I'm thinking, Lois, you know, it's there. You can tell your father is the interim head of the DOD. He can order government satellites over the damn thing and they can keep watch on it and they can know when stuff's leaving they can get enough evidence why are you still here yeah no it's an absolutely funny scenario right there so they get caught they get tied up and in fact uh <laughs> lois knows a lot about knots yeah she does yeah and, so, and general lane's like he's, tra- he's trying to cut himself out and she goes stopped at it what she called like a fireman's knot or something yeah he's she's like this is a fireman's knot it's only going to get tighter the more you struggle how the hell do you know this? How many times have you been you've been tied up? And she goes, I think it's better you don't know. Yeah, I was gonna say for all the times she's been captured and Superman's had to go bail her out, like this is second hand to him. So I thought it was a very cool nod to like yeah. the old uh style of Superman stories where Lois is always captured. Yeah. But this is where things get very scary for a sec, if you will, because the dealers that are involved with this ex kryptonite plant. Are not wasting any time. No, because they know now the, the government's after them. Yeah, so they whip out the guns quick. And then this is where Jordan Kent comes through because he gets summoned. Well, because his mom starts talking and he hears him, which one of my issues with the fucking episode. He's sitting in the car as they're sitting a good distance away from the building, but he can't hear inside because of the, the hissing. All of a sudden, he can hear now, and he can hear his mother's voice? Yeah, I thought that, too. I was trying to think, like, did they turn the plot machine hole. off? Yeah, but it was a plot hole, but it was one that they covered up very quick because he comes flying in at just the nick of time Yep. to get them out of the way of the, the bullets going. And plus, we now realize that he has that super speed going, too. Oh, well, yeah, because he, 
the guy who's facing him down is about to shoot heat uh, heat vision at him, and to, he closes his eyes like shit. This is gonna hurt. But then it's that effect like you see in Justice League, you mm-hmm. know, you, uh, or when the Flash takes off in the Justice League movies. He opens his eyes and it's all of a sudden really. And I love how they cut out all the sound because I know yeah. in a lot of instances you've heard sound or slowed down sound. No, it was like dead silent. I'm like, uh oh, he's got a super speed. Yep. And he just does the slow turn out of the way and I'm gone. Yep. So he winds up saving the day. The dealers get arrested. Yep. Lois kind of comes to terms with everything. They go back to find out that Lana has won the election, but Sarah does not want anything to deal with Jordan. Like I say, this was one of the times, like I say, I know I've been overcritical about their whole relationship being forced down our throats. This was one of the times I was like, you know what? This makes sense. And I think Sarah's upset at not only Jordan, but her mother, because it looks like she's going to be moving in with her father, which is all sorts of weird. Yeah, there's something going on. I mean, she's got a lot of teenage angst yeah, going yeah. on with her character. So, I mean, family issues. She's got boyfriend issues. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot going on with her character, which, like I say, I understand because it is teenage angst. Yeah. Like I say, Indy Navaretta, who plays her, Navarette, uh, has been doing a, a good job with, like, with this episode. Because, like I say, a lot of times it feels like she's they're forcing that issue. Like, right. They were like, okay, we're really supposed to root for him and not. And just, like I say, this was one of the episodes I thought they wrote Sarah very well, because not only does she try helping Natalie get through the death of her mother's anniversary there, you also see that she's trying to work with her dad, who's recovering from the fire. And they're kind of having this rekindling of their relationship because it was shattered because of the affair and how it ends with the episode is after she breaks up with Jordan, gives him back the locket she goes to stay with him for a couple days at least. Yep. And it looks like maybe she will be going back with him, you know, to stay with the dad for a while. So, like, I thought how they wrote her in this episode I thought was very well. Yeah. Like, I had no issues with how they do it. Because usually, like I say, I'm not a fan of how they write her in Jordan. Sure. Because it just feels too forced. Sure. This one, perfect sense. So I was not mad about this. And then it even ends, too, with Jonathan and Candace finally getting some, you know, peace and quiet because of, you know, the ex kryptonite ring has been busted finally. Yep. Until until well, it's been busted, but also Lois and and her father are still concerned because they saw the inside of that facility, and there's some buku bucks moving through that facility. So it's not just you know it's not just Walter White and Jesse Pinkman you know starting up an operation and getting big enough to where you got all these people that like no, there's a major player involved, and they've got to figure out who it is. Oh, I got my theories. Lex Luthor. Uh, maybe. Why not? Maybe. John Cryer. It's been a hot minute since we've seen him. Or if you really want to go to a, a completely awesome recasting, Brian Cranston. Ooh. Since you brought about Breaking Bad. I know I'm fan casting, but listen, I'd can be happy. I, can I fan cast Michael Rosenbaum? Oh, do it. Please. I'm all right for this. Like, whoever they want to get for Lex. I, that's what I'm thinking. We haven't seen Lex on this show yet. True. So it could be time. So I'd be excited to see this, but like we say, they're kind of they're going to tease that, and I think it'll be a big reveal when that happens. Oh yeah, and that's why I say it's got yeah. it's got to be Lex when yeah. that does. But we do see that Jonathan and Candace get their moment, and then Jonathan though gets a headache. Mm-hmm. And when this happened, I went, "Oh wait a sec, mm-hmm. how is this playing out?" I think I know. And then we go back to the Kent farm yep. on a flash forward. And what do we see, Pat? Uh, Jordan is on the front porch kind of having that teenage uh, moping moment because, oh, you know, my girlfriend broke up with me. Uh, Lois kind of ribs him a little bit, goes, hey, listen, kid, this is my sobbing spot. You're going to have to find one of your own. And one of them goes, oh, hey, uh, Jordan's home. And the, the other one goes, that's not Jordan. And the most badass-looking Jordan you've ever seen comes walking up. Jonathan, to, you mean? Or Jonathan, yeah. The most badass-looking uh, Jonathan comes walking up to them and go, and got a leather jacket on, got a 
wicked haircut on him and just goes, oh, wait, this is the inverse universe. Yes. Uh, uh, Jonathan. So he has now crossed over and more or less says, yeah, Superman failed. He was too late. Yeah. And then we see the final shot of Superman on the ground in Bizarro World. Uh Uh-huh. Fade to black. All we got till April 26th. Yeah. But, man, they, they gave us a lot. There was enough from the cast that they really stepped up with the writing for this one. I have to applaud the writers of the show. I thought they did a really good job about oh, giving they everybody, did phenomenal. Give everybody enough time to even the Natalie and John Iron stuff. I thought was done very tastefully too, and I thought that they everybody got their moment to shine in this episode too. So there is a lot of wind that was going on with this without Superman. How how would you feel about that, Pat? Uh, I thought I think it's really good. Yeah. So, I mean, final thoughts on this before we close out? Uh, I thought it was a great episode, all things considered, because when you take out one of the title characters, if not the title character, it's always going to be an interesting thing how you do it because you have to balance a lot and everybody has to really step up their game. And they did it wonderfully. Yeah, I did too. I really thought that they balanced everybody out, gave us enough time. The tease about who's behind this whole ex-Kryptonite ring, I mean, all signs point to Luthor. But, man, could you imagine if they pulled a swerve and did like something like Ra's al Ghul? No, just for reasons. I mean, like they let's, dipped into the Batman well too much for Arrow. I don't. I don't think they'll go that. No, right. I don't think so either. But you know, just to do a quick swerve because, like, I think the Luthor thing we know is coming. Like, right. there's no right. way they're not going to do Luthor on this show. It's just a matter of when. Right. If this is a way to do this. This is a very unique way to do it. But I'm just trying to think like who else would have the bankroll to really stick it to Superman in the, in the Superman universe or the Superman Rogues? Not anybody I can think of. Yeah, because this isn't a Brainiac thing no. by any by any means. No. Toy Man, I don't see them messing around no. like with this. Like, no, this there's not work. there's not enough toys laying around. Yeah, so I don't know after that. And I, I mean, at this point, if Big Buku Bucks, it's got to be uh, Luthor. It has to be, unless they really want to pull a swerve out of somewhere. Yeah. But this is why we watch the show because there's a lot going on with this. They're continuing the great quality of the CW network here because this is the show that we always say this is the number one show to go watch for CW. So, like I say, they raise up the network's value by this show. And it's already been renewed for next season, so we're super excited about that. But we gave you a lot to talk about, so let's have that discussion. Shall we, ODPH Society? Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. 30 Days and 30 Nights, Episode 9 of Season 2 of Superman and Lois. Let's talk. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. My name is Nick. I'm the host of Nikolai's Kitchen, and I'm also the host of the annual live stream for The Cure. Livestream for the Cure is a charity event where we raise money with content creators and podcast partners from around the world for the Cancer Research Institute, a wonderful nonprofit researching cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. This is a mission and a future that I truly believe in. And myself and my team worked tirelessly over the past five years to raise over $50,000 for this cause. This year, we're aiming for our biggest single goal to date of $20,000, and we cannot do it without your help. Please join us for the event May 19th through the 21st, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern, for 45 hours of content from people all over the world. Together, we can bring hope for a future immune to cancer. The more eyes we reach, the more dollars we raise. Please help us in making this goal a reality. Together, we can make a difference. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and it's time to catch up on The Walking Dead. Zombies! Zombies, cult leaders. Again. Yeah. So an ongoing theme. I know, seriously. We we may have to investigate this. We got a thing for cults, I guess. Nevertheless, 
This season has been a very interesting one. Obviously, we discussed this at major length, but if you turn it in for the first time, the last season of The Walking Dead, which actually wrapped up filming today, I believe. Oh, cool. They have broken it into 24 episodes, Mm -hmm. eight in a row, then they take a break, another eight, then another break. Yes. So this is the middle act of the final episodes. Mm -hmm. So that being said, there's a lot going on in the world of The Walking Dead, you're noticing that the Commonwealth, the place that seems too good to be true, is really starting to show some cracks in the foundation. Uh, Some cracks in the proverbial nice coat of paint. Yes. And this is where we're going to be jumping into the episode, and we do give you that countdown warning as well. And you've been listening to the episode this far now. You know how we get down. So that being said, it's time to talk about episode 14 of the final season of The Walking Dead, entitled The Rotten Core. So in three, two, one. Pad. What did you think? Thought it was a really good episode, and yo, that fucking revelation. What the fuck? Yeah, this episode definitely had a lot going on with it, because as we've been leading into this specific episode, the motives of the Commonwealth, which now feels more and more like a cult every day, has really started to show a lot of gray areas mm-hmm. then it's not the utopia that everybody it's thinks a nasty of it. underside of its belly it does because it just seems that there's just so many people that think they're the head of the table and yet nobody is serving because that's, that's funny i don't see roman reigns at the, on the show can you imagine though yo because if somebody's serving at the table they'd be serving up some knowledge because it just seems like there's so many hidden agendas going on with the commonwealth that it just is so puzzling to see how we have the car salesman of car salesman, Lance, is trying to maneuver into getting uh, a new territory into their quote-unquote United States that they're building. It's a weird thing with them, but this is something that they've been slowly teasing, and Lance is out of his damn mind. As, yeah, as, to put it mildly. As the second of command. Like I say, Josh Hamilton has been playing Lance, has really been oozing the cheesy moments on this show. So like I say, I don't mind his character. But now he has his own Daryl working for him, and Carlson, who apparently used to be CIA. Mm-hmm. So Jason Butler Harner, who is playing him, did a really good job about this because they're trying to take over this building. And this building now has a little more meaning to it because you seem to find out that this is where one, the one and only Negan has been staying. And this is kind of his kind of group as well. That they're kind of having this weird takeover, like you know, battle for territory as well. Mm-hmm. Then you throw in everybody else involved here, Gabriel and Aaron, and yep. now Maggie is with her group in there trying to save everybody. <laughs> it's this giant big clusterfuck. <laughs> to put it mildly. to put it mildly, but that's yeah. the easy, that's the yeah. easiest way I can describe it because I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, God damn, there are so <laughs> many people in this building. Like, what is in this building that's so like valuable? Uh, El Dorado, apparently. Something, because this is where like everybody is is like so desperate to take this over. Like this is the tipping point. Like the Commonwealth win, they're taking over the entire Walking Dead universe. Which, by the way, have fun if you try taking over Fear the Walking Dead right now. It's a radioactive wasteland. True. Just saying. So they are really focused in a lot on this, but there's also the side story going on with the sleazy first son of the Commonwealth, Sebastian. God, this guy's a fucking prick. He's the worst. Oy. He's the worst. He's on Joffrey level if you watch Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. 
So T.O. Rap Olsen, who plays him, is definitely being the obnoxious pain in the ass that I can't wait till he gets killed off on this show. Uh-huh. And he now has somehow convinced his somewhat followers, because everybody seems to have their own followers in the Commonwealth. Yeah. Like I say, it's a cult thing. It is what it is. Uh-huh. So the cult leaders of the command force have now gotten Rosita and Daryl to go into a mansion mm-hmm. that allegedly has a safe house yep. full of money. Yep. And this is because, well, he got cut off by the president. Yeah, and the whole premise of this is already small like shit to Rosita and Daryl because they're obviously in this military force. They get their marching orders. Hey, you're on patrol duty and sector whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. And they go out. They're like, all right, move out. And they go out and they get told, hey, been a change of plans. You got to go over here and do this thing. And they're like, why? Why can't you do it? Oh, hey, he, they really want you to do it. And Daryl's not buying any of this. No, because they've been through this before. Like, I, I mean, this is one thing you can you can say is a running joke with The Walking Dead. Find a safe haven. Somebody's usually ruling it. Have to do a lot of bad things to stay there. Turns yeah, out it's uh-huh. an evil thing. Watch, rinse, repeat. And this is what happens on this episode, too, because they wind up going into this house. They do see that there's somebody there who <sighs> I was actually shocked to see a survivor was here because the entire camp there is overrun by zombies. Yeah, there's, there's a small horde. Yeah, like, it's ridiculous, but it's another character from the Commonwealth that apparently was forced by Sebastian to go get that money as well. Was it a character from the Commonwealth? I, I never... It was kind of hard to figure out from that. I thought she, she mentioned at some point she was. Okay. So if I'm wrong, hashtag ODPHPOP. But I thought that she was somebody that Sebastian said, you know, I need you to go in the house and go get right. this stuff. So, like, this is just... Whatever he thinks is in this house is extremely valuable. It's worth the weight of the world. Well, you think about it, he's sending in people that he feels are expendable. Like, right. this is in a weird, messed up and he, sense. And he's coming up with this bullshit, like, oh, why, they're like, why can't you send in those two guys? This is this is Daryl. He's like, well, because bullets are counted, and they'll know something went on if I send people. I'm like, what? Yeah, like, I think he's honestly sitting there thinking that he has his own suicide squad. To do whatever, and then guess what? They get killed. So be it. To a certain degree, yeah. Like it's a it's a weird scenario because he's so obsessed with taking this house and like whatever's inside of it because he got his he he had his money cut off. Mm-hmm. Which I'm like, okay. My, my mother cut off my money line. Yeah, it's. I'm the, like, dude, it's a fucking apocalypse. Like, what much is there to buy? Exactly. Like, where you gonna go on Amazon and go find you, something? You gonna go buy a fucking Elden Ring or some shit? Like, no. Yeah. But shout out to Amazon. They did hook us up with some cool things this week. So uh-huh. definitely shout them out. But either way, you see that Daryl Rosita now in the house to go find April, who's who failed at the first attempt yep. to get out of there. Yep. So they're now screwed in the house. They're it's getting overtaken. Luckily, though, Carol is on the job, brings Mercer with her. Yeah. They wind up making a dramatic escape of this. Yeah. But I'll be though April doesn't make it because well I, and it's not, and it's not without some issues because they turn Daryl and, and Rosita turn the power back on they get into the safe room they get the safe open and hey Daryl knows how to turn turn the power back on a power on a power breaker and then also knows how to break into a safe with a crowbar reasons yeah you know and then but when the power goes on <laughs> surprise surprise this is a, a bedroom that got turned into a, a fallout shelter the. Uh, Safe house, safer, whatever the fuck they called it. I panic room. Panic, panic room, thank you. You know, and the alarm starts going off, and oh my God, we got to turn it off, and Rosita's sitting there going, oh, I can't, I got to disconnect the thing, and I'm like, girl, just fucking break the thing. Yeah. 
the fact they're kind of just being very delicate with everything at this stage, it's like, no, the mission has failed. You're screwed. Uh-huh. You're completely screwed. Luckily, like we say, Carol and Mercer decide to come through. Mercer is like, what is going on here? <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, he's like, this was not the assignment. You have failed epically about this. Do not go to, <laughs> do not pass go. Do not get $200. You're going directly to jail. Like, it's just a wild scenario that is happening here. And but it goes to play about like everybody's got their ulterior motives here going on. Like everybody is. Even mm-hmm. even Carol does too. Like Carol's getting more and more interwebbed yeah. in this entire community. I mean yeah. Melissa McBride has done a great job as Carol throughout the years, but this is like a very puzzling stance she's doing because she seems like she's in everybody's business at the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. Like everybody. And then when you get Mercer, who's played by Michael James Shaw, he is sitting there, and he's like, I don't want to say like the voice of reason, but right. he kind of in, in this instance, yeah. It's a weird reluctancy, but yet he is. So he winds up getting everybody out of there. He finds the Commonwealth people that were back in Sebastian, shoots them. Yep. And basically he says, all right, listen, this is how you're going to survive. You're going to just go through the I'll go through the gates with the money. Ain't nobody going to say a word to me. You're going to give it to Sebastian and call it a done deal. Because mm-hmm. he's like, Sebastian's the guy you don't want to cross. Trust yeah, me. He's like, yeah, he'll just he'll keep coming after you. So just do this once and be done with it. So that kind of writes off that half of the, the show. Mm-hmm. But the other half is all focused on taking over the tower. Yep. You know, the House of Negan. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. So at this stage, it's just everybody is fighting with everybody in that building. Right. You're seeing the great renewals. And then you do see... Probably the the strangest cameo I thought, and that is young Herschel. Yeah, sneaks into the building. Well, he 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 smuggled his way in the car and got tired of waiting. Came out of the car and you saw right before one of the commercial breaks, Negan saw him get out of the car because he goes over to the window and he peels back. He just goes, "Oh shit!" And I I was like, "What the fuck did he see?" And then you find out, "Oh fuck, that's 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 Maggie's kid." Yeah. So that turns into a weird, awkward exchange. And, and Negan basically is like, uh, yeah, you know your dad? I wound up killing him a couple years ago. My bad. Well, he doesn't outright say it, but the kid puts two and two Yeah, two. he figures it he, out. He kind of leads him. He gives him the breadcrumbs to go along the trail, figure it out. For, you know, oh, hey, listen, there's a reason your mom didn't like, doesn't like me. Oh, did you do bad things? Yeah. Are you a bad guy? I was, and that's when the kid pulls the gun and says, my mom said a bad man killed my father. Are you the bad man? Yeah, so that's kind of an interesting scene. But it definitely played up to the drama. I mean, Jeffrey D. Morgan, you know, was exceptional in this. But oh, like he, like fantastic. He, like he always. But that wasn't the biggest movie moment with him, though. No. What was that, Pat? He, well, one, he's married. Uh, the woman we've been seeing in Pal around the last couple episodes, Annie, I believe is her yes. name. They're married, which, hey, Mazel Tov. Yeah. But not only are they married, but Annie goes off with Maggie. Boy, that's going to be a tongue twister. You know, to go do their whole thing, because Negan comes up with the plan. They go do their whole thing. She pulls out of her pocket a bag of something. We can't quite tell what it was, but she goes to eat it, and you just hear Maggie mouth, gingers? And she goes, 12 weeks along. And yes, it's his. Annie is pregnant with Negan's child. Well, did not see this one coming. Nope. But here we are. Let's get weird. Yep, because that's basically what is going on in this episode. Because for the tower, it just goes completely crazy. They wind up getting Carlson on the rooftop mm-hmm. after they're taking out everybody. How satisfying was this, Kel? Oh, it was amazing. Oh, although, 
special effects of him hitting the ground could have been a little bit better. Right, because everybody gets on the rooftop, and Carlson is trying to have like that one last stand, and he's oh at the, he's at the ledge where he's been throwing bodies off the top. Uh huh. And then he's trying to have like this like he's trying to talk his way out of it. He's trying to talk his way out. He's trying to have this big triumphant speech, and then Aaron of all people, yep, fires the rounds, pulls and out sh- the de- pulls out the Desert Eagle, and bang, bang, bang. Yep, and shoots him off the roof. He somehow survives. Well, because I don't think he went for a killing shot. I think he just went. went no, but the armor. fall, the fall. Well, no, the fall didn't kill him. Well, well, oh, no, that's yeah. what I said. Like yeah. that, was, I was shocked at that because then all of a sudden he hits the ground. He's still alive, and all those zombies that were victims of him, they threw off the roof. Now come alive. And eat him. Uh huh. Fitting revenge. I gotta say, just desserts. That. I would say. Yeah, I would say. Like, so it completely made sense. Also, I would say, hey, uh, Carlson, karma's a bitch. Yeah. So now, how Lance deals with this and losing his right hand man, we still have to wait and see. Well, because even Carlson, while he's on the rooftop, tries raiding for help. He's like, all units, report to the roof. Your commander needs help. And you just hear one of the other soldiers' voices goes. Just says, oh, there's other. They're basically surrounded, and they all start getting killed. Yeah. So. A lot of the Commonwealth was taken out in this. Their, their I, armed force. I think all of the soldiers that were there are dead. Yeah, so there, it's a pretty high body count. Like, is this like... Because at one point, I forget who it was. It was either Maggie or Gabriel. So Somebody said that, oh, we can't go back to Commonwealth again. Yeah. But Aaron goes, no, we have to. I forget who they said. It has to know what happened here. Yeah, so well, he's explaining to Pamela, I think. Yeah, so so Aaron knows that, like, okay, so by that instance, okay, all of the soldiers are dead, so they can kind of spin it how they want it and not get in trouble. Mm-hmm. But then, <coughs> what kind of is the whole linchpin about this is the building. Everybody is looking for the weapons. Like mm-hmm. that—that's what it kind of turns out to be the, the, the big reveal. Yep. Which I was like, I, I think there was still some ulterior motives going on with Lance and everybody there. Well, there's, too. supposedly there's this missing convoy that. You know, they tracked and went missing at this place. The people living there claim they never had it. So there's supposedly this missing convoy of weapons out in the open. Yes. So then they kind of foreshadow a little bit, and you get taken back to where the bodies are lying on the road where Maggie and company are on their way to the building. Yep. And then, lo and behold, we finally get the person responsible for taking the caravan. Yep. And who is that, Pat? Uh, That's uh, Daryl's girlfriend, Leah. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Hell hath no fury like that of a woman scorned. Nope, because she is sitting there cutting people's throats and And going And she's been scorned about three times. Yeah, so she's now looking for Daryl, and that's how the episode ends. Wow. (laughs) Yikes. Yeah. Uh, Final thoughts on this episode, Pat. Good episode. Uh, Loved all the action and the plot twists. Did not see the whole thing with Negan coming can't wait to see where that goes uh, and excited for next week. Although we'll have to, we'll have to, I won't be able to watch it live because it's WrestleMania. Yeah. No, we have, per we have, usual. We have priorities that night. So we're yeah, not we watching. Do. Yeah. So forget it. Saturday or Sunday. Like we're not watching anything other than wrestling. No, like this episode was one of their better ones. Like they're really establishing Sebastian as being this big POS and they did a good job with that. The mission in the house. Uh, I was expecting somebody else to get killed. I thought it would have been a little more gravity to the situation than April, who we did not care about to begin with. But it's establishing something coming down later, which if you read the comics, you have an idea what's going to happen. At least mm-hmm. I do because, well, the fact they swapped Rick out with Aaron kind of says it all. But I thought the Negan thing was a nice touch, even though I think it's going to be interesting, especially with <coughs> the spinoff series coming. Yes. So how is this all going to play in effect? Well, just how there? good Jeffrey Dean Morgan was for this role because you look at Jeffrey Dean Morgan where he came in and he was just the most smug, arrogant, cocky prick you'd ever met. And now you can just see the pain in his in his 
body. Yeah, they do, they've done a real good job about reforming him. Like, that's so weird saying. I know. I don't like saying that. I, I, I really struggle with that. But it is what it is. And they've really tried making him into a weird anti-hero. But if you've been following the show, I mean, you can't really root for him. It's just like against code because thanks to him, Abraham Glenn, just saying. Uh-huh. Either way, though, a pretty good episode of The Walking Dead, I got to say. I would say so, too. Like I say, when when they got you know through the insanity that was the fight to the rooftop in the house of Negan, uh you know, they really hit their strides, I thought. Like, just some of that stuff is just when you have that big of a cast and you know nobody's getting killed off. That's what kind of takes away a little bit. Sure. But I thought they did a good job about when they finally got to the rooftop. The kill was actually pretty interesting. I thought it was very fitting. And then where they're going with Leah now being the sole survivor and just killing everybody in three feet of her. I'm waiting to see how this all plays out, especially with two more episodes left in this arc. Question mark. Dot, dot, dot. But either way, we're talking about it, so ODPH Society, let's talk to you about it. What is your thoughts about the current season of The Walking Dead? And what do you think about this last week's episode? About Negan's big reveal? Let's talk about this, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna... Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. We got to talk about the Oscars. And no, not the moment everyone is talking yeah, about. Yeah, if you want to hear about that, listen, our guys over at 3FN have got a great take on it. So go find 3 Fat Nerds on your favorite podcast platform and they will break it down for you. Trust me, you want to hear yeah. that take. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the moment that had me f- absolutely fucking fuming. Do we need to do the warning for you? No, I'll, I'll be fine. Are you sure? No, yeah, I'll be fine. fine. If we did this the night of or the day after, you would absolutely need to. But I've, I've calmed down since then. But they still screwed this up. Terribly. Break it down. So, as we know, this year is the 60th anniversary of the James Bond franchise, mm-hmm. which first made its debut in 1962 uh, with the film Dr. No, starring Sean Connery in the titular role. Yeah. Fantastic fucking movie. You know, so it's been 60 years, and they it was announced before the Oscars that, hey, we're going to be doing a tribute to the James Bond franchise. So, I was instantly went, oh, this could be good. You, you kind of screwed the pooch during the 50th anniversary 10 years ago mm-hmm. by now par- partially screw the pooch at that point every actor to have played james bond was still alive Rod, uh sean connery uh george lazenby roger moore timothy dalton pierce brosnan and daniel craig were all still alive so i figured ooh, that could be a really cool moment because i don't think it's ever been done before to have every living bond actor on stage at the same time what better time than the 50th anniversary of the Oscars to do it? They didn't do it, but we still got a wonderful rendition of Shirley Bassey performing Goldfinger mm. live. So partially screwed the pooch. We got Shirley Bassey live, which I can't complain about. So I'm like, oh, hey, another opportunity. In the 10 years since, we've now lost two of the James Bond actors in Sean Connery and Roger Moore. So we're down to you need to get going on this because let's face it. These actors aren't getting any younger anytime soon. Let's hope they do it. 60th anniversary. So you can find the clip on YouTube, and I highly recommend you go watch it. You know, they come out, they start out with Tony Hawk, 
Kelly Slater and and Sean White yep. on stage talking about the legacy of Bond and some of their favorite Bonds and go athletes. And I'm like, why do we have three action sports athletes on stage? Now, they're very accomplished individuals in their own right. I'm not trying to take that away from, away from them. What I don't understand is why you had those three individuals on stage when you had Dame Judi Dench, who was M for I can't tell you how many movies, but since the mid-90s, from Goldfinger all the way through Skyfall. So you're talking at least five, maybe six movies. I'm going to say six. See Five, six movies. You had Dame Judi Dench, who was M there. You had Javier Bardem, who was in Skyfall as the main villain. You also had uh, Sammy uh, Rami Malek, who was the villain in the last Bond film, No Time to Die, all in the audience. Who better to intro anything James Bond related than the former head of MI6 in the films and two of the best villains they've done in recent memory? But no, we're going to go with three action movie stars. So I'm like, all right, fine, is what it is. They then go into a montage, which it's a montage of the famous lines, you know, well, Bond, James Bond, do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. You know, and other action sequences, although I do got to say, boy, they did Pierce Brosnan dirty in that montage yeah he's not in there a lot i mean you could say the same about george lazenby but hey he was only in one movie yeah that makes more sense makes but brosnan got snubbed brosnan got snubbed and they did it with live and let die playing over it now i will say live and let die is a fine song and it's a good bond song you know the movie sucks the movie's not that good yeah it's a but, great song but it's a great song but playing live and let die for anything james bond related is fucking pandering you know, it's like putting on a Star Wars tribute video for the whatever anniversary of Star Wars and putting it to the Imperial March. Of course people are going to get excited over it. Mm-hmm. But then that was it. They play the montage, it gets to the end, and it's just this logo of the James Bond logo 60 years in, cut to black. No actors, no nothing. You screwed the pooch on that, you know, Academy Awards. and I'm, uh, But you did redeem yourselves a little bit later in the night. No, t- uh, no Time to Die by Billie Eilish did win the Oscar for Best Original Song, which I was happy about, you know. Yeah, that made sense. I was happy about, but still, you screwed the pooch I- again on, you know, and you didn't even have, you didn't even bring, you could have done like a medley with like Adele, Billie Eilish. You know, have, have Bill, Adele sing Skyfall, have Billie Eilish sing Just No Time to Die, you know, but no, we're just going to play a montage video and move on. You know, Come on. there was one person that was missing too. I mean, the real... Future of 007. Yeah. Sandra Cage, Vin Diesel. <laughs> come on now. I'm saying you could have had him come back in, revitalize the franchise because it's all about family. The franchise that was a part of the movie studio that just got sold for a couple billion dollars and the movie made a couple billion dollars itself. Yeah, it needs revitalizing. It does. It needs It needs a shot of adrenaline. It needs a shot of Nas. Cuban Nas. Yes. You know, because, hey, it works with Fast and Furious. No, they, but they, they really screwed the pooch. I mean, I'm glad they did screw the pooch on the Godfather tribute because this year is the 50th anniversary of the Godfather franchise, you know, which that tribute was very nice. You got to see Coppola, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, Robert De Niro, and Al Pacino all on stage. Which that, that was really cool. That was cool. That was cool. But, like, for me, overall, I've never been a big Oscar sure. guy. Like, sure. I, just, for me, I, I think the Academy tries – in my opinion, I think they try thinking too highly of themselves. Sure. And, like, they try going for, like, the over-the-top analyzation of a film sure. instead of being something. Sure. And, like, and to my recollection, this is the first year we've had a fan moment. And if Yes, you're telling, it is. Okay. The Justice League Well, we, Flash, know, we know how that happened. I, I know. And I'm just it's like. Fucking Snyderverse assholes. Like, listen, I, I understand that's not. But, yeah, like I say, it, this is their way of trying to get more hype around 
getting the Snyderverse back, like, listen, not the way to do it, in my opinion. Nope. Like, it's a cool scene. Don't get me wrong. But I'll you, be honest. I even forgot it happened. But exactly. Like, it's not something that we all sit there and go, like, in comparison to Avengers Endgame, uh-huh. where you see Cat pick up Mjolnir. Right. Or you see everybody come Avengers through the portal. Assembled. Yeah. Like, okay, those are the moments. You don't really have a moment like that in the Justice League movie uh-huh. because you don't need one no. in the Justice League movie. The movie, the the final cut by Snyder is <coughs> actually good. Like, we've talked about this at length. You can go find the episode. But you're not sitting there going the minute he goes into the Speed Force. Right. Like, nobody is talking about that until this moment. So, like, listen, I understand Snyderverse fans. Like, listen, be passionate. Don't be toxic. Congratulations. That award's never going to happen again because it was getting panned pretty unanimously online by everyone. Yeah. It was was an absolute joke. And and I knew, uh, listen, I knew there was something funny going to go on with that award the instant they dropped it and then the instant stuff started coming out about just how odd some of the choices were that were getting put in. So I, I had no faith that it was going to be something actually noteworthy. Well, don't get me wrong. The mo- moment's noteworthy, but it's the most noteworthy moment in film history? No. Yeah, like I say, that I'm sorry. that That's just, it's not a deal. It's just not going no, down. I'm just no. sorry. You you can't sell me on this. You you can try, but you're not going to sell me on you this. You know what that was the equivalent of? And if you're not a sports fan, you may not get this, but I know, Ken, you'll get this. That was the equivalent of one of those barstool lists they put out. Yes. The barstool top ten lists that you look and go, Wait, how the hell did you rank this here? That that was what it was. I'll, I'll give you that completely. Uh, moving on to some happier things. Ken, do you remember where you were 20 years ago? 20 years ago was 20, so 2002. 2002. Yeah, I was in Vegas, actually, this week. Uh, 20 years ago this week is uh, was in Japan the initial release of Kingdom Hearts 1. Oh, jeez. On the PlayStation 2. So, yeah, the franchise has been going for 20 years. Uh, they've got some stuff planned this year because, hey, it's 20 years. Not sure what it is, but they've got an event planned for later this year, so you know I'll be all over that. Oh, you're going to be covering that. Well, that happens, but I was very happy to see this. Hard to believe that this little franchise, which I admit I didn't hear about when it was getting ready to come out. You know, I just remember watching Disney Channel as a kid and them advertising it because, because, hey, Disney had a financial investment in this uh, little franchise. And I'm like, oh, this I just got a PlayStation for Christmas. You know, the year prior. So I was, I saw this. I'm like, you know what? This looks kind of interesting. I got it as a, I got it as a, because it ended up coming out in September of 2002 uh, here in the States. You know, so I ended up getting it for a birthday gift, you know, uh, later that year. And I got to say, it hooked me. I've played that game more times than I would care to admit. Uh, enough that I can probably play it blindfolded at this point. He's not lying, folks. No, I, I've sunk a lot of hours into that game, and, and, and I don't regret any minute of it. So to Tetsuya Nomura, who is the director of the entire franchise, and all of the producers and writers, programmers, artists, and, and if anyone who's been involved with the game over the years, thank you uh, for one of the greatest game franchises I've ever played, and uh, here's to many more. You and Tyler from 30 and Nerdy are the two biggest Kingdom Hearts people I've ever met. I believe it. I'm not meaning this as slight. I mean, this is your fandom. So, like, for you guys, I know you're going to be celebrating. Maybe you guys should be teaming up and do a, a podcast retrospective for Maybe. that. Because, you know, I could definitely see that happen. But, yeah, it's, it's 
it, for me, it's just it hasn't sunk in that it's 20 years old. Oh, I know. It's, it's wild. It feels like it's 10 Yeah, for me. I don't know, but that's just me. Sticking with some video game news, uh, we got the unveiling of the new PlayStation Plus. Uh, of course, this is the thing that's been rumored for a while. It's the, you know, the PlayStation version of the Game Pass. It's this new it's Spartacus, I believe, was the rumored uh, yes. pro- project name for this thing. Uh, it was announced just yesterday as we record. And, and reading from the PlayStation official PlayStation blog, it reads, quote, Since launching PlayStation Plus in 2010, Sony Interactive Entertainment has been at the forefront of innovation with game subscription services. We were thrilled to be the first console membership service that included a refreshed library of games through PlayStation Plus, and also launched the first console game streaming service with PlayStation Now. Today, we are pleased to share with you official news about changes coming to our subscription services. This June, we're bringing together PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now in an all-new PlayStation Plus subscription service that provides more choice to customers across three membership tiers globally. Our focus is on providing high-quality, curated content with a diverse portfolio of games. Below is an overview of the three membership tiers. So for those who don't know, PlayStation Plus is, if you have Xbox, it's Xbox Gold. Okay. If you have Nintendo, it's the Nintendo Online, whatever the hell they call that for Nintendo Switch. You know, you'd pay a, a monthly fee. You'd get, you know, a cloud storage. So if you were playing a game and you wanted to go over to your friend's house and play that game with them, and you had to bring it, you brought the disc with you, but then if you want to play your specific file, you put your game save in the cloud, go to your friend's house, log in, download the file, and you can play at your friend's house. You know, and also what they would do is they would offer two games a month, rotating, different game every month that you would be able to download and play whenever you wanted, and you kept those games for as long as you were a PlayStation Plus subscriber. Mm-hmm. So I've got games on my, if I were to dig up my PlayStation 3 and blow the dust off of it, I like I think Sonic I got Sonic 2. Oh jeez. Is as, as, as a PlayStation Plus game years ago. Like I could play all of Sonic 2 on my PlayStation 3. You know, that's where I first played the Borderlands franchise. It's where I first first played the Saints Row franchise was through a free game of one of the months for PlayStation Plus. Hmm. You know, so and then PlayStation Now was their streaming service where like, you know, they had PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, uh, some PlayStation Portable, PlayStation 3, and PlayStation 4 games. And now since PlayStation 5's come out, they got some PlayStation 5 stuff there. But now it looks like they're going to be merging the two together. So the three tiers are as follows. Uh, You've got the PlayStation Plus Essential tier, uh, which this provides the same benefits of PlayStation Plus members are getting today, such as two monthly downloadable games, three if you've got a PlayStation 5, Mm-hmm. Uh, early discounts, cloud storage for same games, saved games, online multiplayer access. Uh, there is, there are no changes for existing PlayStation members plus members in this tier. So this is the tier as this is the standard PlayStation Plus as is. No change. You know, it will still be in the United States nine ninety nine a month. $24.99 a quarter or $59.99 a year. I play the yearly fee just because it makes the most sense. Yeah, it makes more sense. Uh, go to the PlayStation blog. There's breakdowns for Europe, UK, and Japan. I'm not going to go through every price. The next tier up is the PlayStation Plus Extra. You get everything I mentioned before from the Essential tier. Plus, it adds a catalog of up to 400 of the most enjoyable PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 games, including blockbuster hits from our PlayStation Studios catalog and third-party partners. Games in the Extra tier are downloadable for play. That one in the United States will be $14.99 a month, $39.99 a quarter, or $9.99 a year. So then you've got the PlayStation Plus Premium tier. This gives you all of the benefits I mentioned before with the Essential and Extra tiers, plus it adds 340 additional games, including PlayStation 3 games, available via cloud streaming, a catalog of beloved classic games available in both streaming and 
and download options from the original PlayStation, PlayStation 2, and PlayStation Portable generations, hmm. offers cloud streaming access for original PlayStation, PlayStation 2, PlayStation Portable, and PlayStation 4 games, offered in the extra and premium tiers and in markets where PlayStation Now is currently available. Customers can stream games using PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 consoles and PC. And then there will be also be time-limited game trials will also be offered in this tier so customers can try select games before they can buy. Uh, in the United States, this will be $17.99 a month, $49.99 a quarter, or $119.99 a year. Uh, so this looks like, it looks kind of interesting. I'm definitely going to give it a whirl when it comes out in June. Uh, just because well, that's a lot of fun, like, especially at the premium tier, like that's 700 games. That's that, crazy. That'll be available for 120 bucks a year. Which is it's essentially double what I would be paying right now because I I pay fifty nine ninety nine right now, but I'll definitely give it a whirl. I'll see. I'll, I'll wait and see what they have offered because if it's a whole bunch of games and like I I because there's some games on the PlayStation Two I would love to play again mm-hmm. that I simply can't because hey the PlayStation Four is not backwards compatible. You know the early PlayStation Three was, but they soon discontinued it. You know. So I'll wait and see what it is, but I might not have given this a whirl. It seems kind of interesting. Yeah, if I was in a PlayStation, I'd be looking into this, but I'm an Xbox guy. Understandable. Yeah. Uh, switching over to some uh, TV and movie news, we finally got a release date and a bit of a poster for the upcoming Game of Thrones prequel, House of Dragon. Ooh. Uh, and this is premiering on August 21st, 2022. Interesting. Uh, so this comes to us via the official House of Dragon Twitter account. They gave the premiere date along with some images of the characters from the show. Uh... This is, of course, based on George R. Martin's Fire and Blood House, the uh, Fire and Blood uh, book that came out five plus years ago, something like that. I lose track with it. Yeah, uh, reading from an article on IGN.com, uh, it reads: House of Dragon is a ten-episode HBO series that is set two hundred years before the events of Game of Thrones and will follow the story of House Targaryen. Fans of the Game of Thrones and the Song of Ice and Fire, Fire and Ice, excuse me, will know that the family of that is the family of Daenerys Targaryen. House of Dragon stars uh, Patty Considine as King Viserys the Tar- First Targaryen and Emma Darcy as Princess uh, Raynar Targaryen, alongside Olivia Cook, Matt Smith, Reese Ifans, Steve Toussaint, uh, Ev Best, Sonia Mizuno, Fabian Frankel, Graham McTavish, Ryan Core, Jefferson Hall, and more. Martin himself has already seen a rough cut of the show's first episode and shared that he loved it. Uh, he said, I am anticipating House of the Dragon pretty eagerly myself for what it's worth, uh, Martin wrote. Okay, I am hardly objective, and I know that I know a lot of you will be seeing. I um wrote the book. Also, mum's the word right now. Word now. Don't tell anyone. I've seen a rough cut of the first episode and loved it. It's dark. It's powerful. It's visceral. Just the way I like my epic fantasy. Uh, close quote. So we finally got a release date. Finally got some to look at it. Interesting of note, this does come to us from Warner Brothers, which this is premiering two weeks before uh, the Lord of the Rings series. Yeah. Just saying. Interesting timing on this. Just saying. Interesting. Should be good, though. I'm, 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 listen, for as bad as the final season was of Game of Thrones, the, the producers from the Game of Thrones series aren't involved in this in any way, shape, or form, so it might actually be good. Yeah, I'm going in with this with a low bar. So, so am I. Yeah, like I, I'm not super amped about this, but I'm going to watch it. I'm just going in with extreme low expectations. And I, and I think HBO would be smart to realize that, and that's not true just for us, the podcast, but for pretty much the entire world. No, for us first. We're kind of big deals. Yeah, kind of. Uh, next up and lastly, got some streaming news because uh, 
According to the folks over at Variety, the Spy Kids franchise is getting a reboot at Netflix. What? Yeah, so the article uh, from Variety.com reads, uh, Carmen and Juni Cortez, welcome to Netflix. The streamer has closed a deal to reboot Spy Kids, the early 2000s action-adventure franchise about a family of super-secret agents. Skydance Media had recently optioned the rights to Spy Kids with the intention to reimagine the franchise for today's audiences. But the film has newly landed at Netflix. The still-untitled movie will premiere on a yet-to-be-determined date. Spy Kids, or excuse me, Spyglass Media owns the Spy Kids franchise and remains on board. Robert Rodriguez, who created the original series, has returned for the upcoming reboot, which he will write and direct. Plot details have not been revealed, but the next generation of Spy Kids will revolve around the activities of a multi- multicultural family. The original Spy Kids movie centered on Carmen and Juni Cortez, played by Alex Penavega and Dan- Daryl Sabara, two young kids aware that their parents, Antonio Banderas and Carla Jugino, work for the Organization of Super Spies. Eventually, the Cortez children join in the family business of espionage. Casting for the upcoming reboot has not been announced. The first film was popular among younger and older audiences alike, grossing $147 million at the global box office in 2001. It spawned three theatrical release sequels, 2002's The Island of Lost Dreams, 2003's Game Over, and 2011's All the Time in the World. Collectively, the franchise has generated more than $550 million worldwide. Uh, I'm su- I'm actually interested in this just because this came out right when I was about the same age as the actors and and uh, Carmen as uh, Alexa Penavega and Daryl Sabara were. Like I remember reading the book as a kid. I loved the movies. You know, I saw the I saw all three on home video at home. You know, when if it was on TV when I was a kid, I'd usually stop and watch it. So I'm interested to see where they go with this. I'd like to see them kind of not necessarily connect back. To those original movies, but I'd like to see some of the actors and actresses maybe make a cameo, and it's always fun to tie back to those. Yeah, like I'll be honest, when you just announced this, I'm like, this is kind of like an uncharted water here. Yeah, because I was not expecting this. No, to neither get was resurrected I. Resurrected by any means, no. but um, like I said, I, I remember seeing them way back when. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're good for their time. Yeah. So you know, maybe I'll peruse this. I mean, I'm not like super, you know, like crossing this off of my sure. my calendar but i'm sure. not hating on it either so sure. it could be interesting but robert rodriguez the creator and yeah. the original writer is involved should be good yeah that's what i said anything he touches is pretty much gold with me. uh-huh so we're gonna close out with some comic reviews but i have to address something that came across comics twitter today i've been getting hit up because if you're a longtime listener of the odph you i had nothing to do with this yeah there was some news involving Ben Riley, aka the Spider Clone, aka the Scarlet Spider, who I am not a fan of. If you have any merchandise, hit me up on Twitter. I will figure out how to get it to him. Yes, and I'll probably be smashing it left and right because I I do not care for the character any which way, shape, and or form. And all I've been seeing today as we're recording uh, New Comic Book Day is people losing their minds about something going on with Ben Riley. And I, okay, curiosity got the better of me. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go find out. So courtesy of the fine folks over at comicbook.com, there was an article about how Ben Riley. the title of the article is ben Riley, Spider-Man Ben Riley gets a wild new alter ego. So apparently in the latest issue, which is out today, of Amazing Spider-Man number 93, Ben Riley does get a new identity. And according to the article written by Evan Valentine, mm-hmm. shout out to him, to quote, with Ben falling into a pool of quote unquote expunging 
psycho-reactive goo. <laughs> that's his quote, quote-unquote. No, yeah, I believe it. Yeah, which, I mean, like, listen, I believe that that's what's in the comics, so this is not a shot of him by any way, shape or form. The former Spider-Man now dons a much darker costume while seeming to sporting tendrils not too different from that of the symbiotes such as Venom and Carnage. So I showed Pad the picture. He did. Um, Like, I'm at a loss for words. It feels like a fever dream. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, like, I'm looking at this going like, okay, I don't like Ben Riley to begin with. This, this to me, and I could be wrong, so maybe, uh, this to me feels like one of those moments in comics that, like, happens, but then afterwards is never mentioned again. Well, I like, I just, I don't get it. Like, for me, this is not doing anything for and even if I was a Ben Riley, like if I was a Ben Riley fan, I could understand why you're getting mad. And I'm then I'm obviously not a Ben Riley fan, and I'm sitting here going, "What is this?" Yeah, you know, obviously they want to do some kind of something creative with it, so I'm willing to hear maybe when this is going to you know spawn into probably a a new series, which I'll have to listen. to My guy Brian Wayne from Cheers the Comics will be breaking it down to me on DM, or some of our other friends in the podcast world are going to be talking about this, but. Straight up first impression, uh, to quote the legendary GSP, I'm not impressed by this performance. This, nah. this, this is not up my alley. Um, so and, and I'm just I'm sitting here kind of like a little perplexed. Like I understand, like listen, we gotta give stories some, their chance to do. But I don't know, like this is just reading to me, like what the hell are we doing? Like this is just like a, a mix of like every single Spider-Man character incarnation we've Sounds seen. Sounds like somebody lost a bet, and this is the end result. Kind of, like I say, just for me, this is not clicking. If this if this turns out to be really good, like I'll eat my words. But I'm looking at the first impression, and it looks like seriously, it's a straight up mix of Venom and Spider Man, and it's mixed in with something else. And I, I can't put my fingers on it, but I'm just ah, I'm looking at this going like I can understand a little bit of the outrage today if you're a Ben sure. Riley fan. Sure. If you're a hater like me, uh, this is another reason I'm just going to stay away from that character because I don't care for him. Like he should have stayed dead when they killed him off numerous times in the comics. I said what I said at OD Parlay Hour if you want to debate about that. Ben Riley can go away and stay away for good. But let's talk about some good comics to okay. close this out. So Marvel, like, listen, if, if you're a fan of Spider-Man, you're really checking that issue out. But for me, if I'm going to the Marvel shelves this week, I am definitely checking out Immortal X-Men. So Karen Gillian's writing it. I am super excited to go check that book out. From the DC side of things... There is a crossover that is happening. Okay. Involving my guy, my guy, and my guy. Ben Riley? No, we're talking DC. Oh. Slade Wilson. So there is the infamous Shadow War that is kicking off with Shadow War Alpha. So this is going to be a little crossover action connecting Deathstroke and Batman. Uh, so like I said, the last time that these two tangoed, it was definitely an interesting thing going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how this is all going to play out, like I'm definitely excited to go check the issue out. So the alpha number is out today as we are recording. From our friends over at Image Comics, March Massive season comes to a big close because we also have, from Kyle Higgins, Radiant Black is coming out. So season year two, season two, however you want to define it, is hitting the shelves. Marcelo Costa is on the artwork with it with Igor Monte. So the issue is great. I picked it up and it is fantastic. So year two of Radiant Black is kicking off in a big way. Nice. Pat, I know you're a fan of Radiant Black. Yes. We think we got Stu from SWO Productions into Radiant Black too. So Good. definitely want to talk to that. I know our guy Josh from Talking Smacks, super into Radiant Black. This is a great issue. So definitely go pick that up. Rogue Sun, number two is out. Ryan Parrott, Abel on the book again. Definitely came out with a strong first issue. 
This one definitely holds up too, so I'm really excited to see where this story is all playing out. So that's at the local comic shops this week. On Parlay Points, the recommendations this week. Now, there are a couple here that I thought you know really stood out. And there's one called Eden. Now, this is coming out on Comixology Originals. Okay. So shout out to everybody at Comixology. Uh, they're putting out some great stuff there on the Originals line. The book is also slated to be going to print via Dark Horse Comics, much like how Scott Snyder's line is going. Right. This book is due out on July 12th. And this is a very cool book. It's written by Matthew Arnold. And some people might know him as the creator of Emerald City and Siberia, respectively, for NBC. Okay. So, rings a bell, yeah. Yeah, so this is his book. It's coming out. Um, Ricardo Bercelli is on the artwork. And it is a very cool book. Like, at first glance, I was like, I'm not sure what to expect from this, to be honest with you. But it's the story of this couple. One's a senator. Her husband's a sheriff. And they get framed for a crime they didn't do. Sure. And in this timeline, they're debating about cryogenically freezing inmates. They get frozen, and then they are frozen for like a thousand years. Oh, okay. So some Futurama type stuff. Yeah, but except the world has kind of gone back and like restarted itself. Ooh. So it's, it's it's like almost like in prehistoric times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really cool vibe. Like I got to admit, when I first was reading this, I was like, okay, I'm really not sure where to go. <laughs> There are so many twists and turns in this book. Like, especially when we get to the final arc, they are doing some really badass things with this book. And I can't stress it enough. Like, this is something that I was blown away by reading. Like, I give it a very high recommendation this week because you're not going to see how it's coming with the ending for it. And right now, like I say, it's on Comixology Unlimited, right? Or Originals right now. So, but I also I recommend the unlimited package too. Like that is something I am so happy I spend the money on each month. Is well worth it, and I'm probably going to pick this up when it comes out in print too. Like most of the stuff that they have coming out in print as well. So that's a high recommendation. Obviously, our friends over at Valiant coming out with the heat as well. My favorite book on their line right now, The Harbinger, is back with a new issue. So Harbinger number six is out by Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing, and Robbie Rodriguez, crushing it again. If you're a longtime Valiant reader, you're going to appreciate the cameos in it. Really cool stuff going on with this book, especially a cliffhanger ending. I don't want to spoil because it's that badass, Pat. Nice. It's amazing. Nice. Like, I was like, wait, what are we doing here? And the final pick I have for this week, one of the books I've been getting into, and like, I'm telling you, the hype is real about this book. Something is killing the children. So, James Tynan, Werther Delretta, mm-hmm. and Miguel Matero, and End World Designer on this. And absolutely crushing this book. Absolutely crushing. I apologize if I messed up anybody's name. This book lives up to the hype. And obviously we talked about House of Slaughter in the past too, the spinoff book from this. Now we're back to the flagship show. show, And like I'm telling you right now, this book is coming with it. They're setting up something really big. I don't want to spoil anything about it. So that's why I'm telling you, go check out the Parlay Points blogs because I give you my spoiler-free reviews for the most part. I give you the warnings in there as well. And go to the comic shops and go pick this up. You definitely want to add these books to your collection because anything that we post on Parlay Points, I read and I buy. So that's the personal recommendation to you that I'm not serving anything that's fluff. I, I recommend these books because I go get them or I would go get them. That's what I'm saying with this. So all of that, definitely go support your local comic shops. Go support your local independent comic podcasts. 
And definitely go read some comics, people, because it's fantastic. That all being said, Pad, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH is that a shout of the robots. They read comics. I know this for a fact. This is true. Yes, and they got some stuff in the works on their Patreon. But, Pat, how do I find out about them? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. Swinging over music section. Check out everything going on with Shout. Everything going on with Floodlands. Second Suitor. Tom Jolu. Yard Party. The list goes on and on. Brian Wolf, too. I keep on wanting to say Fair City Fire, but I know that that's on hiatus right now. So, either way, any band did you go find on the music section, we recommend personally. That's another one. We, we go support them as well. Also, while you're at the website, check out the directory. Pat. How many providers are we on? Uh, 16,804. Correct. So if we're not on your favorite provider, we want to know. So that's how we go about this. Parlay points, like I discussed. Something's Killing the Children by Boom Studios. Shout out to Boom. Boom is doing some big things. If you're not on board with them, i got to tell you, get on board with them. Valiant Comics, Valiant Entertainment, Comicsology, doing big things. You can read all about the blogs. You can read the wrestling blogs. I hear we have a blog coming from Dre. Our guy Dre Driven is hey. dropping something. We're waiting on that. We're also going to the classified section. While you're at the website, you check out everything going on with the friends of the show, such as 8122 Productions, doing big things going into that four-year anniversary, especially on the Patreon, just saying. Also, organizational links supporting Black Lives Matter, friends of the show, and all the amazing pod groups we're in via the Podchaser pages. So you definitely want to go check that out. Go support the Inner Circle. Go support the Apocalypse. And, of course, 607 Podcasts because we're doing big things. The T Public Store. All that and so much more. I'm forgetting so much, Pad. Like, seriously, that's how loaded the website is. You so know this. There's a lot there. There is a lot there. So odphpodcast.com for everything that is the ODPH. That's all I got for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. See, I'm too wound up talking about Ben Riley. See, that's how I'm ending the show with anger. Anger, folks. But a a little bit of thank you to you. Because thank you for listening to the ODPH podcast as always. My name is Ken M. We will catch you next time.